velvety soft bath hands and some real thud in the back, leading to moments like this and McConaughey, and he's snaking his way through, and in Clark to Glanville, fucking a singer is standing, waiting, pouncing. Big Joel makes his a double. Oh, he's gone through on his own. Josh Matabesi, ender of worlds, destroyer of walls. Spencer whips it away. Beautifully done. Gavin scores. The two young bucks who underline their love of this place earlier in the week. Orlando Bailey and Max Ajomo conspire in thrilling fashion. Hello and welcome to the Bath Rugby Plug. The rugby podcast by the fans, for the fans. Plugging the boys in blue, black and white. My name is Gabriel and if you're tired of talking about the Red Rose losing to Scotland, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast all about Bath rugby and we're going to do here for a mid-season stock take. As I said, my name is Gabriel and I'm delighted to be joined as ever by my good friend and fellow Bath fan Tom. Tom, lovely to see you. Hello mate, you good? I'm very well, thank you. I am very well. And we are also delighted to be joined this week by fellow Bath fan, the Bath Badger on Twitter, Henry Bates. Henry, thank you for joining us again this season. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me back. No, great to, great to have you back. And yeah, no Bath defeat to talk about on the weekend. So we sort of thought we'd take this opportunity to look back on what has been about six months now of Johan van Graan's tenure at Bath, take stock a little bit as to where we think we are, whether we've improved, what areas we've improved on, before looking ahead to, to the remaining games of the season uh, and what we can expect and what we're looking for and who we're looking for to make a big impact on that season. So that's what's to come. But before we get into it, it would be remiss of us not to just touch on the Six Nations. So Henry, I'll start with you. I'm guessing you watched plenty of the rugby on Saturday with a particular focus at Twickenham. What was your thoughts on on that England performance and and that England result? So yeah, so I was uh, lucky enough to be at Twickenham on on Saturday, so got to see it firsthand. Um, I think first and foremost, it was a a cracking game of rugby. I think both teams went to went to play. It was a little bit cagey at the beginning. There was lots of kicking, um, but yeah, I mean, my main focus, to be honest, was on was on Finn Russell having a having a look at him, seeing how he got on, and sort of yeah, my main takeaway from that was just the just the pace on the fizz of his pass, the the sort of that final try, the two passes he threw first to Stain on the wing, and then after that quick rock ball to then get it into the wide channel, that was mesmerising to watch. I was in the south stands, so I had a pretty good view end on of of the speed of those passes. Um, from an England perspective, disappointing, ultimately should should really be closing those games out. But um, I think, yeah, I think they, they lack some ball carrying. I think Steve Baltic got selection slightly wrong. I always think you need a 12 who, who can threaten the line. And I think Smith and Farrell... England love to use that pyramid and that diamond formation that we saw many years ago with Bath successfully. But um, with Smith and Farrell not threatening to take the ball to the line, I think um, the Scottish defence dealt with it pretty well on the whole. But but yeah, in contrast, Russell getting the ball quickly into wide channels and two Palutu keeping the defence honest, I thought, yeah, Scotland did a did a proper job on us. 
Tom, you were there as well. What what were your thoughts on the game? Yeah, it was a nice atmosphere. I was there in the autumn as well, and it was uh, uh, much more of a, a fiery atmosphere, a sense of excitement. I think, obviously, with with X Bath Legends, Steve Borthwick taking the reins, and it was a nice nice clash of styles, kind of the pragmatism, almost a Van Grand kind of pragmatism um, emphasis on kicking. I thought the set piece was much better than it was in the autumn as well, and then Scotland just and and fair play to them really taking the game to us and not being afraid to play from, from wherever. And I agree with Henry. It was great through blue, black and white tinted spectacles. I mean, there wasn't actually much Bath action, uh, um, you know, many Bath players involved in the game at all, apart from Molly Lawrence off the, off the bench. But yeah, Finn Russell, I think I heard him described as kind of a, a matador because the way that he tempts in the defence and Owen Farrell flew out the the line on on one occasion and he gives... Um, a little fizz ball, as you say, to, to, and, and uh, Van der Merwe straight straight through the the dog leg. The way he he controls the game and his decision making is fan, fantastic. And I think also is is kicking and the fact that they won that kicking battle and and he, they exited so well. I think that's an underrated part of his game as well. So I was I was uh, yeah bittersweet in a way because it's exciting to see what he can bring. But obviously Scotland are our nemesis, and I think that's five from six losses of the Calcutta Cup now on, on the bounce. So a bit painful for all those, uh, watching all those kilts walk out of Twickenham, Twickenham so happy. Yeah, I mean, Tom, you're going to get on my back here and say I'm just being a contrarian, but I'm, I must have been watching a different game to to people that the, the, the game Finn Russell played. I, th- I thought they massively won in spite of him. The, the errors he makes is, yeah, was concerning watching it from a Bath point of view. The errors from ball in hand, the kicking errors I felt like he made, like, especially in the first half, I, I thought they massively won in spite of him and massively won. I think you're right, Henry, because England just had no go forward. Like Don Brandt, yeah, had a pretty poor game, came off after 50 minutes and that back line they're, they're going to pick. If they're going to pick Finn, um, yeah, Smith and Farrell, fine but you've got to pick someone that's going to get them over the game line and whether they picked Castle Collins on the wing to try and do that maybe because it's not going to come from Malins, it's not going to come from Stewart and that's not Marchand's game so maybe that was the plan but he didn't get in the game at all so you need to be able to carry if you're going to have a Smith and Farrell partnership and it wasn't helped by I thought two pretty poor performances from from both Leicester scrum halves as well um, and the back row just not being in the game. I thought Scotland won all of those key areas and, and yeah, deserved the win massively. And I thought people, I saw a thing that someone rated, rated Russell's form as 9 out of 10 and I must have watched something different because I, it was okay in patches, but I thought there was loads of errors there. I think, yeah, you're focusing on the wrong parts of the game there. Maybe the odd, um, the odd misplaced kick or drop ball here and there, but if you watch his involvement, in the stain and Van der Merwe tries and you watch the the clear in all the kicking battles essentially in that first half where Smith kicked aimlessly and I thought Russell had found grass had much better control I think rewatch that one mate and maybe pop your pop your blue black and white spectacles on well you two watch it so yeah well. I agree I think I think the positioning of Russell that you don't see necessarily on the TV is, as you said, Tom, in the first half was he was always there and yeah, again, he, he made, he made some errors for sure. Um, and, but we know, I think, you know, signing him and I think Scotland know that there's no such thing as a flawless performance at fly half. And he definitely made errors, but when it counted in the key moments, the 74th minute, um, mm. he delivered two of the best passes you'll ever see. And when you rewatch it, neither player, is um, 
no, their stride is is not influenced at all. It's he is bringing the ball forward, and he players are running onto the ball like staying, getting on the outside of Youngs. He's actually only got five ten meters of space, but the way he's running onto that ball, uh, it was mesmeric. Mm. And they should have had more. They should have had more. But anyway, we're not here to talk about this, Jay. We <laughs> said we do a brief, brief introduction to this, and. Um... <laughs> Yeah, and another fantastic weekend coming up. Obviously, England back in action at Twickenham on Sunday against Italy, and then two cracking-looking fixtures on Saturday: Ireland, uh, France, and Scotland, Wales, which which will be really interesting to watch. And and yeah, a, a, a day of rugby that perhaps is not kind of marred by allegiance to to one side or other, which I'm I'm really looking forward to. But yeah, let's get into where all of our allegiances lie. And that's obviously with the blue, black and white. And let's kind of give some overall thoughts here, lads. And why don't I set the table a little bit with how we've got on um, in terms of wins and losses and, and where we're currently sitting before we delve into a little bit more detail. So we've had 16 of 28 rounds in the Gallagher Premiership. 28 rounds still remain, but obviously with with many bye weeks in there due to the unfortunate losses of, of Worcester and of Wasp. Bath currently 10th in the league of 11, played 12, won four and lost eight. Looking then at Europe, we had three losses and one draw in the European Challenge Cup, that draw coming in the last round against Glasgow. And then looking at the Premiership Rugby Cup, we lost all three of our games in that competition. So that means it's four wins from 17 games played, uh, kind of competitive games under Johan van Graan, which is pretty poor. We did win three in a row in the league in around October. We beat Saints, Newcastle and then Leicester Tigers with the other win coming against Newcastle at home. So two of those four wins against, you know, maybe the worst team in the league in Newcastle. The one win away to Newcastle has been our only win in a couple of years. So Tom, with all that in mind, it doesn't look great, I would say, on paper. Is that kind of been borne out in the way you feel that this half, a little bit more than half of the season has gone? I think, yeah, I think you're painting a bit of a picture of, of doom and gloom there. I think we, if we, I think we'll mainly focus on the Premiership on, on this podcast, but I think the Premiership Rugby Cup wasn't really a tournament that we put a huge amount of, of stock into, put out very inexperienced sides, lost to Bristol heavily, for, to give one example, because they had a much more um, experienced side. I think Europe, I and mean, we can we can talk about that, but um, a very close defeat to, to, to Glasgow, a hammering away to Toulon, where we were very, very poor in that first half. Toulon in the rearranged fixture against Gloucester, which was difficult circumstances. And again, a very close loss overthrowing our line out, if you, if you remember at Kingsham to lose that. And then a draw at, at Glasgow. Obviously, we, we lose, we, we, we go out of the Challenge Cup um, as, as, as a result of that. The Premiership, you're right, we, we started very poorly. I think we lost six out of six on the bounce, including one against Wasps, which was obviously struck out, as as you say. And then we had that stronger period, which coincided, as we can come on to, with the 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 the, the Worcester players coming over to the wreck and, and making the the impact that that they had. But I think in general, whilst the wins probably haven't been forthcoming, the contests and the performances have been a hell of a lot closer and I think that's borne out in well one statistic that I was I was looking at boys that I'll, I'll chuck back to you our current points difference mm. this season 
is minus 23. And G, you might have already seen this, but do you guys want to take a guess what our points difference, our net points difference was last season in the in the Premiership? So tw- minus 23 this season. Henry, any guesses for last season? Well, crikey. Minus, minus 284. It's a good effort. It's a, it's, a, it's a good effort. You're actually low. It's minus 302. No, it wasn't. So, yeah, it is. So when I was... No, it wasn't. Six, time. Yeah, 64 nil doesn't help. Minus 302 across 24 games, five victories. <laughs> We've also already got eight bonus points in the league out of the, t- the 12 games and only got 10 in total out of the 24 games last season. So I think those, we can, we can get into it, but I think overall, yes, gee, the wins haven't been forthcoming and we need to be better at converting those, particularly late on in games. But, and I'll chuck this over to you, Henry. I think in a number of areas, there's been discernible improvement and it's been a hell of a lot closer. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I like you, was, was pouring over the stats earlier today and I might have got it wrong, but I looked at number of matches played this season. I've got, we played, we've played 22 matches, lost 17, won four, drawn one. That, that does include the Barbarians fixture. And it also includes the Wasps match that um, has subsequently been chalked off, but still matches we've played and lost. So yeah, statistically, you know, really we're no better than last year, but um, Tom, I completely agree that, in terms of competitiveness and and I think you know we've all bought into Johan van Grans and you know I'll put it on record now I'm 100% behind him and his philosophy and his vision and I think you know he's realised this is a long-term project and I think yeah I think we've all bought into that but yeah I mean we're certainly competitive I think you know again looking at the stats what you said um, I think we've got the fourth best defence in the league as it stands Um, in terms of we've conceded 300 points. I think we're joint fourth with Gloucester. Um, and there's a lot of big teams, Blurs, who've conceded more points. The issue is the the points for we've scored 277 um, and only Bristol in the league have got less points. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about our attack uh, going forward. But that seems the obvious, um, the obvious place to start for improvement. Yeah, I mean, I've forgotten the last time you came on. The only man, the only Bath supporter that likes stats more than me. You've uh, you're reeling them off early doors, but I think defence is maybe an area we should start with because we moaned so many times last season about not having a defence coach. JP Ferreira has come in. You've given some background with the stats there, but G, looking at the performances on the field, do you think we've we've seen an improvement and 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 kind of? What's that? What does that look like in in layman's terms this season? So <laughs> you gave me to give me to explain it in layman's terms. We've absolutely improved defensively, stats, eye test, everything. We are just so much more organised in defence. Right? We all they all seem to know what they're doing, uh, and that comes with that's going to come when you've got a dedicated defence coach who's had time with the players prior to game starting, which JP Ferreira did coming in on the 11th of July, as he did. And with the season starting in, in mid-September, he had that time to implement his philosophy. And it wasn't overnight. There was a couple of relatively big scores put against us early in the season. I'm thinking of that Wasps game in particular. I think we conceded 39 points, but it's definitely improved since last season. And it's continued to improve throughout the season. Um, and yet, you can just tell by the way they're playing that they are 
much more physical and they're much more organized in in particular i think in sort of structured attack play we saw countless times last season that teams would just have to go through a couple of phases against bath and and they would find weaknesses whereas now they seem to be able to defend multiple phases a lot better and i think that is also built into something that that's definitely improved which is the fitness of of the pack and and the players but in the pack the pack in particular the pack last season was unquestionably not fit enough and i actually listened back tom to um the preseason preview podcast that we did this at the start of this season at the start of season five of the podcast and van graham was clear that the two areas he wanted to improve on were the the defense and the fitness and i think that's borne out in particular when we defend phase play and continuous phase play that we're not as easy to breach we're not perfect but we're not as easy to breach yeah, I think that's that's spot on. And I think I, I, on the the flip side of that fitness point, I think I saw a statistic that we, in terms of points difference again, have are, are the are the best side in attack in that last quarter of the game. So whereas previously we've seen, and I, I always remember the the home fixture to Leinster when they they stuck sixty four points in us last season. That was a painful one, and players were limping around; they could barely run. And we have seen that completely change. The body composition of the players is is, is different. Um, guys putting in eighty minute shifts time and time again, and, and doing it week on week. I think that's been that's been really impressive. Turning just quickly back to defence, to maybe to finish that that point, I think the probably the the one area of improvement that, or, or the one area of big concern, I think in our defence is still the mall defence. We've seen on a couple of occasions that get out of hand. I mean, just thinking about recent games against Glasgow or against Sale where we've just looked splintered. We haven't looked organized, G, to use your words. Um, you know, that's a JP Ferreira, that's a Luke, Luke Charter area, that's the Neil Hatley area, right? They're, all those guys will be looking at that. Um, and I think that that is something where we're really going to need to improve because so many tries, particularly in the Premiership of all leagues, are scored from the rolling ball. So that's the one area where I think we haven't seen as much of improvement as, as perhaps we would like. Yeah, is that is that JP Ferreira's remit? I'd be fascinated to know. Like, he's obviously defence coach, but is he more defence coach? I think that would be Hatley or Charteris's job. And yeah, I think I think that hasn't come on. That hasn't come on as as much as as we would like. Let's try and stay sort of positive, Henry. Is there anything else that that has improved in your eyes massively from this season, from last season, going into this season under Johan van Graan? Perhaps taking the defence to one side. I think it's yeah going back a little bit to, to that confidence. I mean, one thing that certainly hasn't improved, going sadly going back to weaknesses first, uh-huh. is just the, the starts in games, and that's mm. I think the, the most frustrating thing. You know, we're we're fifteen points down in games before we're blinking. You know, going back to our most recent game against Sale, sort of yeah, will but first minute foolish tackle under the pump, and then yeah, Thomas, you've said we we struggled to defend Mulls, and we're it was only Rob Dupree's sort of misconversions that kept us in that game against Sale. But on the flip side, last season, that start against Sale would have resulted in us losing by 50 mm-hmm. points. And I think certainly the range of emotions we all go through on match day now, we go through everything with following Bath. Um, and I certainly feared um, watching that Sale game last week that we we were almost back to where we were last year when they went 17-0 up in 15 minutes. I I saw 50 points when I was closing my eyes it just um it seemed inevitable that we 
we couldn't turn it around. And, you know, the game plan against Sale in that first half was was pretty poor in terms of the biggest pack in the Premiership and we we're playing one out rugby. Um, but as I said, the the positives are certainly we're able to come back into games and start to compete. And as Tom said, we've picked up all those bonus points, um, whereas last season we certainly wouldn't have done. I think, yeah, the Maul offence has certainly improved from last year. We didn't score one Maul try in the whole of last season, which um, when you think back, that's that's just crazy, particularly when you look at the, the amount of tries hookers in other clubs um, scored last year from from rolling mauls. Um, but but the line out hasn't functioned up until last weekend. But I think, you know, Josh McNally coming back into the team uh, and at starting at hooker, we suddenly saw a 100% line out. So I think that's certainly something positive to look forward to for the rest of the season with, yeah, with him coming back. The scrum's yeah. gone well as well, right, Tom? It has done, I think, I think particularly recently, you know, I've said many times that I do think there's a big drop-off from our first-choice props, so Ben Urbano and, and Will Stewart, who have barely been available all season. But, I, yeah, I saw some statistics prior to the sale game. So we've won a penalty on 24 of 76 of our feeds in the Premiership, which I think is third in the league, so 32%, which is a good return on scrums. I think if you're stood in freezing in 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 14 shirt or the 13 shirt, you're going to be pretty annoyed with that rate of, of penalties or whatever. But it's been good. And you look at the games against Sale, uh, Toulon and Glasgow, all very strong scrummaging sides. And I think we can we can take um you know we can we we can take some positives that, that is an area that's improved under Neil Hatley as as forwards coach. And that's only going to get better with Ben Obano having returned and, and hopefully with 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 Will Stewart not too not too far away so yeah I think that's that's an area where actually we've we've I've been ple- I've been I've been pleasantly surprised during, during the season yeah it just feels like if we can sort of get that first 10 and then last 10 right a lot of what we're doing in the middle is is definitely improved and that first 10 letting them into the game and then that last 10 just not being able to close them out has borne out in in what on the face of it and the hard stats look like really poor, a really poor start to the season. But you're right, when you delve into it a little bit de- deeper, we're certainly a lot closer than we are last season. And Henry, you say when you closed your eyes on Friday night, you saw 50 points against Sale. When I close my eyes every night, I still see 64-0 at King's Home. I still see it. <laughs> so that's probably a me problem. But yeah, we're definitely closer to the top opposition and then starting to turn over the weaker opposition, Newcastle, um, London are Northampton Saints sorry um, so when we look ahead to the upcoming fixtures that's definitely something that we'll bear in mind Tom we always go on have you got a point to make say? sorry mate well I was going to talk about another positive maybe um, love it. I, I would love I mentioned, I mentioned it briefly but a big moment for us in, in, in the season came in October and obviously sad circumstances but with the the, the the Worcester situation I think you've got to give credit to to Johan van Grand for how savvy he was, how quick he was in recruiting initially Ted Hill, Ollie Lawrence, um, in particular, and then locking those those guys in on 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 longer term deals. We're four from four losses at that point, mm-hmm. and I think that injection of energy, fresh blood, kind of almost a bit of anger at the situation as well, bringing that into that environment, I think has has been has been brilliant, and I think. Yeah, I don't know what you guys make 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 of make of those guys. Particularly, I think Ollie Lawrence starting off like an absolute dynamo in that game against Saracens that he played when he was running over the top of people. And I think more recently Ted Hill, who's who's grown into that six shirt and has been a beast. But 
for me, looking back, that's a, that's a, that's a big moment, not just for this season, but potentially for, for seasons to come. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I sort of dread to think what would have happened if we hadn't got those players in that, as you said, that fresh injection of energy, almost that desperation, um, that it sort of was a bit of a reality check, I think for, for our players, um, seeing these sort of superstars come in who have been panicking for the last months about their their job and suddenly people realising actually it's a privilege to play. Mm. Um, and Johan's talked about that in depth and saying actually that's exactly the injection that they needed. I also think um, Fergus Lee Warner's been a, been a real standout, particularly okay. with, with the injuries to McNally and Van Veltzer um, annuals. Uh, he's played a lot of minutes for us and certainly has stood nine, up to be counted. Yeah, so he, yeah, he's he's had an incredible injection as well. And Morozov, we, we saw glimpses of his, of his potential last season before he, he left us to go to Worcester, but he is a solid scrummager, which is exactly what we needed too. Yeah, off the season, I think it's certainly been a, a positive start to the season. You combine those guys you speak about, Hill and Lawrence, I know, have, have confirmed signing long-term deals. I'd, I'd love to get Fergus Lee Warner under our belts for a long-term deal as well. I think he's been superb, and I'll touch more on him later. And to go alongside those guys, Alfie Barbary, a player we haven't seen yet, is going to add something in the ball-carrying department. And then some re-signings to, to go with it in and around Christmas time of, of Will Stewart, Tom Dunn, congr- Tom Dunn uh, Will Ben Spencer, and Sam Underhill. And Jay, Jay, just before we... Maybe I'll, I'll throw it over to you to talk about our attack a little bit. But um, you mentioned Tom Dunn. Did you want to mention our our, our support? Because I think you've uh, you, you dropped the ball on that one on week three. So off you go. <laughs> yeah, we throw you under the bus, mate. I was going to try and seamlessly <laughs> that in in a minute. But yeah, of course, the Bath Rugby Plug brought to you by Black and White Butchers. The Butchers and Event Company ran by Bath and hopefully seems to be England legend. Tom Dunn. We are in partnership with Black and White Butchers. Veganery is well and truly over. So go and check out their Instagram and get in touch with them there if you want to improve, take your event to the next level. And they are also in action every match day at the rec. So check out their stand. Get yourself a hog roast. Get yourself a burger. It will be well worth it. And yeah, I did forget that one three weeks in. So cheers, Tom. Straight under the bus, mate. Thanks. Five yeah, I, mean, I thought we had some loyalty. <laughs> no, none at all. None at all. My loyalty to Tom Dunn and it and it always has been as as you know and yeah they'll be there at the, on the 18th as well it's the Bath Rugby Foundation Day against London Irish so uh, another group that we've had on on the podcast but um, yeah that should be a good day it will have felt like there's been some time since we've had had a home game so look forward to that on the 18th yeah Tom thank you for throwing me under the bus with that one before I was done so I was talking about the re-signings that we have done around Christmas time and another one was announced Tom earlier this week with big Joe Thokinasiga re-signing. He's been playing some of his best stuff, I think, in a bar shirt this season. So that was really great to see. And he'll kind of hopefully be involved in the development of the attack as we move into the second half of the season. Tom, what have you made of Joe Maddox's Bath-led attack so far? Yeah, I mean, our attack is not really centred around our backs. So I, I do feel like we're... We're yet to see Joe Maddox's influence. I mean, a lot of people have been been critical that we've been fairly toothless in um, 
in certain games this season and we've been very, you know, one dimensional and relied on our driving more and our set piece. But I think again, if you you look compared to last season, you know, we're we're averaging two point seven tries a game across all competitions. That's more than last season at at, at two point four. But all other attacking conventional attacking metrics are down. So offloads, average offloads down from eight to four, average meters made down from down about seventy five meters. And then on the flip side, 70%, BT was saying on the last game against sales, 70% of our lineouts across anywhere on the field, we drive. And outside Matt Gallagher, who are our top try scorers, oh, it's Tom Dunn and Nala Nett. So I think we are switching our attack from previous seasons to be much more pragmatic, much more conservative in the Van Graan mould. Um, I think less so in the, 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 the Joe Maddock mould, and many listeners will remember him streaking down the right wing. And that's going to take time, but I, I, I think it's a good approach in, in this league and I think it is starting to bear fruit. Mm. I think a concern that, that I think I have had maybe so far this season is, and I, I did reference earlier that I listened back to the preseason podcast we did and we were so so excited about the development of some of the young guys and, and Bailey, Ajoma and in Tom de Glanville. And we just haven't really seen that those guys kick on as much as I would like. And for one reason or another, you know, Matt Gallagher is a massive part of, of why Tom DeGlamble's not kicked on and Ollie Lawrence with Max Ajomo. But yeah, I don't think those guys have had the opportunity or necessarily the opportunity both in terms of playing time and also in terms of style of play to, to really improve. And yeah, I was interested to listen to Johan van Graan's half-time or half-season interview. And, and he was talking a little bit about Finn Russell and, talking about how he thinks that when Finn Russell comes, they will then be able to develop. They're, they're going to focus season one on developing defence, pragmatism, set piece. And then when Finn Russell comes, try and incorporate that into um, a style of play that, that can be a little bit more exciting and a little bit more kind of joined together. I think I've referenced this before, but it does feel a little bit like the forwards do their thing and the backs do their thing. And there's no joining there. And it's either Spencer or Schroeder to a big forward or it's Spencer or Schroeder to Bailey and it's all rushed and there's no kind of joining together of that. So, so that's going to come, but, but it has led to at times, Henry, a little bit of, yeah, a little bit of not boring, but a little bit of rugby that's pragmatic and, and maybe not what we've seen when Bath have been successful previously. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think that's sort of one of the main points I want to see addressed in the next couple of months. Obviously, the, as you alluded to, the game plan is going to change hugely with Finn coming in. Well, I certainly hope so. <laughs> it's not that it's a waste of money. Um, and with no relegation this season, I think, you know, our stats are, are pretty poor around games one. And I think really we've got not a lot to lose in terms of of trying to play a little bit more expansively. I think our stats on tries from turnover ball are actually one of the highest in the league. So we we have the ability and there's no doubt our strength really is our back backline. Um the players that are sitting out a lot of the time, you know, Jonathan Joseph hadn't played for five, six weeks, then turns up at sale and reminds us all actually he's still a a class operator and Max Germa, as you said, Tom de Glanville haven't had their opportunities to shine. So I think particularly in this six nations period, when uh, a lot of players be missing and actually we don't have that same issue. I would love us to 
to play a little bit more expansively. I'd love us in particular to, to pick Max Green on the bench, um, a name that hasn't cropped up for a long time. Um, he, I think he got his run inside back in 2018 and we literally haven't seen him since. And I think, you know, particularly that, that last minute try against Tigers at home, he came on the last five minutes and I think everyone was like, it's madness to take Spencer off. And actually he added some pace um, to the breakdown. I'd love to see him go probably off the bench. You're not going to drop Spencer, but you know, we saw how dangerous we were against Sale in that second half when we speeded the, the ball up, when we got runners there, uh, defensive line sort of getting Cam Redpath Jonathan Joseph into a little bit of space we finally cut a little bit loose and I just think sometimes we're a little bit too focused on slowing the ball down um, and the kick chase than actually using some of our assets so yeah as I said in a, in a year when there's no relegation next year relegation comes back into to prominence so um, I think rather than waiting to the summer and then completely changing it which will take time I do think it would be nice just to see a little bit of transition over the next couple of months, particularly as the pitches in theory will dry out and the weather will get a little bit better for, for that type of rugby. Mm. Yeah, it would be nice. I'm, I'm kind of not going to hold my breath on it, though. I think that Johan's got a, a pretty firm plan. He wants to start winning games first and, and then maybe maybe try and incorporate those guys. But it will certainly be fascinating to see. You may have referenced it there, but we always talk about thick and thin on this podcast so before we move on a little bit why don't we pick out our thickest and thinnest moment and as the guest Henry I'll give you the honour of picking out your thickest your best highlight of the season so far I think yeah the highlight of the season has to be uh, the Will Buck try against mm-hmm. Tigers just the, the, the sheer elation um, that came with that and, and after being dominated in the game in the first half I don't think anyone expected it and you could see the relief the, um, in the players and, and the supporters just waiting all that time for, for emotion and victory like that I think um, the hardest one there's sadly still plenty of um, still plenty of memories I think you know perhaps perhaps the sale defeat initially I think there was a lot of a lot of hope particularly after the Bristol match where we took the Bears really close and and then to get sort of thumped at home I think that was a bit of a bit of a reality check that this sort of yeah our form would would take a long time to fix um so yeah I think those are the the two highlights that that stand out Tom, have you got a? I think we're all pretty confident that Will Butt in the corner was the the thickest butt <laughs> moment of the season. What was your What was your thinnest moment so far? I don't. I don't think you can argue with Will Butt slipping past Anthony Watson in the in the corner. Uh, con- weird concoction of emotions that one, but the uh, Thatcher certainly helped. I think thinnest. Yeah, you can look through the defeats. A moment that that sticks with me is the injury to Will Muir. And I, I don't know why. I think it was just because it was felt innocuous. It was something in training. I think it was start of October, and he'd been flying. You know, we'd lost those early games, but he looked a menace. He was our player of the season last season, top try scorer in both the seasons that he has played in professional 15s. He's a beast. He's the horse. And then just for him to pick up uh, an injury for the rest of the season, and for that to be cut so short, cruelly, in what was looking to be a great season for him. Yeah, that that was that was a bit bleak. And when players get injured, they often become forgotten, and you forget how good they have been. And I think I think that Will Muir was was one that would have had a great season, and that was kind of take, taken from him. So 
I'll go a bit left field, but I'll go I'll go Will Muir on the sidelines for the rest of the seasons. The horse in the stable for the rest of the seasons. <laughs> yeah, no sightings of the horse, unfortunately. And I think he would feature prominently in the BRP MVP if he'd been able to feature. And, and that's where we're going to go to next with maybe a couple of mid-season awards, boys. And I'll kick it off with the BRP MVP with a couple of honourable mentions. And yeah, you've got to mention the, the guys that have come over from Worcester and in particular Ollie Lawrence, Ted Hill and Fergus Lee Warner. We're, con- we're contractually obliged to say Tom Dunn these days, especially as I completely forgot to do so at the top of the show. So got to say Tom Dunn, but he's undoubtedly having Andy, Andy deserves it. Andy deserves it. <laughs> He's having a brilliant season uh, and, yeah, well-deserved with his England call-up. And, and Big Joe, who we spoke about there as well, I think he deserves that that new contract absolutely. And he's been playing some great stuff. But but it is Matt Gallagher who is the BRP MVP as voted by me, the host of the BRP. And, yeah, I think he's been, he's been superb, hasn't he? He's been such a surprise as well. And as I keep referencing that preseason podcast that we, we, we recorded, Tom, but yeah, there was very little hope, I think, around the Matt Gallagher signing. And we were focusing our attention elsewhere, and it's such a competitive position. But he's made that 15 shirt his own, and, and Tom the Glamour can't get a look in. And it's deserved because he's not only a rock under the high ball. But he's a, a, an attacking threat. He scored tries. He always runs hard. Two hands looks threatening, and, and his kicking game is something something to behold. And yeah, pivotal in that thickest moment of the season in that win against Leicester. So, so I think it's Matt Gallagher who who is well deserved of the mm-hmm. of the BRP MVP. Um, is there anyone Henry that you can kind of see who has been a player that that apart from Matt Gallagher who who has been maybe a surprise package under Johan Van Gran or maybe someone that you kind of see their trajectory going up under under Johan Van Gran for the remainder of the season? Yeah, it's a difficult one because I actually don't think that the selections we've had certainly the the guys he brought in obviously Chris Clutie has had a horrendous injury record since since arriving and I sort of. If you'd asked me at the start of the season, he would he would have been the player that that I would have been most excited about in terms of his turnover ability and um, what he could offer on the floor and and round park. And we literally haven't seen him apart from a couple of games. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anyone really who who's sort of unexpected in that team apart from as you said, Matt Gallagher. I think we all expected Tom De Glanville to to own that shirt, and yeah, he, he's gone through his own injury troubles and. I'm sure he'll be back um, competing for that shirt and getting in, into match day 23s as, as the season progresses. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess the only only names I can throw in, you know, if we'd thrown in Lawrence uh, and Hill back in September, we would have all pinched ourselves saying how the right if we pulled that off. So I think I think those two names um, in particular, uh, Will Butt, I think uh, probably another one. I think you know the, with the wing options that we had at the beginning of the season again. You know, Tom said the injury to Wilmer, Rory McConaughey spent the last two years on the sidelines too. Gabriel Hemmer Webb's um, had horrendous injury luck as well that that we've we've actually we never thought we'd say it. We're actually really light on the wings. I think um obviously he scored that that try that we all remember against Tigers, but but he certainly pitched in and and sort of yeah, put himself up for selection. So yeah, I don't think there's a huge amount of candidates. Um but yeah, I'd throw those names in the mix. And Tom, sorry to keep throwing it to you for a, a negative take, but that's a thrive. Maybe someone that's dived under Johan van Graan's leadership and maybe someone we've not seen the best of maybe yet 
or maybe the best is behind them. Uh, who do you, who have you been maybe disappointed in so far this season? Yeah, I think three three guys that I had, or maybe two honourable mentions and then a winner. So, <laughs> the, the, or a loser maybe. The first guy, the first guy, guy that we've not seen this season, which I guess is the point of this nomination. But but is, is Ewan Richards? You know, a twenty year old who last season tore it up as one of the bright sparks in obviously that horrendous season. I know he's had. I think he had two months worth of injury, but not not more than that in September and October. But outside of that, has only been involved in two Premiership Rugby Cup games. And I'm just a bit surprised that he hasn't featured ahead of guys like Wesley White, JJ Tonks, Tom Ellis, etc. I think, you know, for whatever reason, he's been been overlooked for 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 a lot of the season. On the other end of the 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 spectrum, or maybe not, I mean he's only 31. It feels like he's been around for ages, but Henry, you just mentioned him, and that's that's JJ. And you know, apart from him winding out the clock against Sale, he's featured very sporadically, and a lot of that has been because Ollie Lawrence has, has made the shirt his own and really dominated in that 13 shirt. So maybe we will see him play his part over the Six Nations with with Lawrence away with England. But you feel like the next couple of months might determine his 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 future in in a Bath shirt. But then the, the, the yeah the, the the kind of overall winner and you know um, kind of dovetails quite nicely with your your nomination G. But the overall winner I, I think you've got to say is Tom de Glanville. I mean you clearly love calling fullbacks for MVP G because you called him as Player of the Season last season. Again he was injured for um, a couple of two or three months I think at the back end of last year, but otherwise has been up for you know contention with with, with for selection at fifteen with. Matt Gallagher, and I think if one moment is going to sum up his season so far, and that was his appearance on a Wednesday, on a Wednesday night in the Premiership Rugby Cup against London Irish at, at the Brentford Community Stadium, he played 59 minutes on the wing. And from where he was and what people were saying about him last season, that is a fall from grace. You know, he's only 23. He's serious class. He's serious pedigree, as we know. But it's been the Gallagher Premiership so far this this season, and um, yeah, Tom de Gamble's a guy that that needs to get back playing well and and get him get his way back into the the twenty three and then fifteen. Yeah, it's been been disappointing for him, and I think yeah, a big few months because he's a quality player, right? He's not mm-hmm. he's not like gone past the gone over the hill as as maybe my my nomination of, of Dave Atwood might have um, fallen under that category. I've, I've not been massively impressed with him. Uh, on his return to the Bath shirt, and yeah, I think being outshone by by Lee Warner, um, and I think I'm looking forward to seeing a bit more McNally and, and maybe Richards towards the back end of the season. With that in mind, let's let's maybe take stock and take stock of the players available and, and players returning soon to to be available. And this is based on an injury report that that came out just before Christmas or around Christmas time. So, given we're about six weeks removed from that. A lot will have changed, setbacks will have happened and more people will have been added to this. But but I'm not sure there's been a huge number of long-term injuries since then. P.S. Francis with his concussion brings to mind, but but not loads. So recent returnees, Chris Clurter, Josh McNally, Beno Urbano, Jonathan Joseph, who had a spell out, I think is important to note. 
should be joined soon by the returning Yako Kutsir, who's, who's bound to bring something to the number eight shirt. Gabe Hamer-Webb is not far away. Quinn Rue, another lock to bolster those fangs, those ranks. And GJ Van Veltzer. Those guys are all going to be back. And, and there's some really exciting names, Klerter and Kutsir in particular. We were really excited about them at the start of the season. So hopefully they can they can bring some, some dynamism. And, 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 and I think letting... Ellis and, and Williams go must be a suggestion that those guys aren't far away. So yeah, excited to see those guys back and obviously currently missing Tom Dunn, Ollie Lawrence, Cam Redpath, Josh Bayliss and big Rory McConaughey away with the, the Six Nations. I think Lawrence looks surely in line to start against Italy and, and that's going to be a fascinating game and a really good opportunity for him. And I, I really hope Tom Dunn can, can get some minutes and, and maybe a meat mm. pie. That would be fantastic. And I think once those guys get back, it really is just looking like the only long-term absentees we've got are Charlie Yules, Will Muir, and then maybe Will Stewart with his elbow, and, and Alfie Barbary's not far away. So as we start to look ahead to the rest of the season, we're in a fantastic place injury-wise with with really just kind of Charlie Yules and, and Will Muir as those guys that we, we're not going to see again. And we might get to a stage when everybody returns from the Six Nations, fingers crossed, fit, that really happens, I know, where we've got a massive and a really competitive squad to pick from. And, and that's going to be key, isn't it, isn't it, guys, as we look ahead to the remainder of the season. As I said at the start of the podcast, we played 16 of 28 rounds, but I think we've only got about eight games left. And I think the first two, Henry, as we look ahead to, to the remainder of the season, the first two games are absolutely pivotal. We play London Irish at home on the 18th of February and then the following week at home on Friday night against Bristol. They look like two winnable games at home where we've been much stronger and will hopefully set us up to, to maybe get a couple of wins from the remaining games of the season against Tigers, Saints, Chiefs, Gloucester, Quins and Saracens, which look a lot harder. These two have got to act as a springboard to those, right? Yeah, absolutely. And they are, for me, I've written them down as well and completely highlighted that they are sort of non-negotiables, really. They, they are the two that we will absolutely target and, and should do luckily with the six nations certainly those away from England is that we'll for the London Irish game won't, won't be impacted by uh, Scotland call up so Redpath McConaughey Bayliss uh, will all be available to, to feature in that um, because it's a fallow week in the six nations so we should be full strength and yeah as you said depending on Lawrence and Dunn's uh, participation over the next couple of weeks, we might even get them back as well for, for game time. Obviously, Lawrence only getting sort of five minutes off the bench at the weekend. So, yeah, obviously, we've been Irish um, last season. Uh, they don't tend to travel massively well away from from uh, Brentford. Uh, they're, they're a very formidable team at home, but, but they've got um, deficiency to have a, a pretty yeah, the, the names that you mentioned due to come back into the team, if we can get some of those on the park in the next couple of weeks, uh, you know, we're effectively full strength and, and hopefully refreshed and rejuvenated to, to give these next two games everything because that, as you said, that could set us up. If we lose those two, then we're in, um, we're in a world of trouble for the, for the end of the season, I think, just from a confidence perspective. Tom, when when we when we previewed the season, you said we've got to be targeting a minimum of ten wins 
out of 24 in the league. That was obviously inclusive. I think you're including a couple against Worcester and maybe one against Wasp. So, yeah, maybe I'll give you seven. That means surely these next two, in your mind, are, are, are keys, are winnable and, and, and keys to that, that target being reached. They're, yeah, I mean, they're, they're absolutely massive. You know, I think when we've, if you look back to the Bristol game, the Ellis Genge ran absolutely right. And it was it was his game. Remember, he scored that first minute try. He won't be available, nor will Carl Sinclair in the other tired spot. So that's, an, that's a game that we can dominate physically. London Irish will be missing two of their most potent threats in Hassel Collins and um, Henry Arundel, who's been included in the England squad for, for Italy. Now he's back fit. So, you know, those teams aren't hugely affected by internationals in, in the same way that we're not. But I think, yeah, home games, those teams are around us in the table. And in a league where you can lose a couple of games and find yourself towards the bottom of the table, but then win a couple on the trot and get some momentum. And suddenly you can find yourself rocketing up the table, you know, to, to, to fifth to sixth place. I look ahead in the table, Northampton Saints in uh, fourth place on 33 points, only nine points ahead of us. And we have a game in hand on every team in the league with the exception of Newcastle and Bristol beside us. So genuinely a couple of wins could, and, and a bit of momentum could push us on our way. I look a little bit further ahead. So after this, this block of games in February, and then we've got two away games on the bounce against Leicester and Northampton. Now, you know, our away record is something that has been particularly poor. I think you mentioned it on last week's podcast, G. We've got three away wins in 23 months, all against Newcastle. So that's it's, it's it's not a great record, but I would say that probably our best away performance in recent memory, apart from those, was the draw against Glasgow up at up at Scotstone. I think that was an impressive place to get a draw, given that they were unbeaten in in fifteen months. So the games away at Leicester, who we beat earlier on in the season, and away at Northampton, who we beat at home earlier on in the season, with the guys that are missing from those sides. So. Uh, for Leicester, Ollie Chesham, Dan Cole, Van Portfleet, Youngs, um, Anthony Watson, potentially guys, probably guys that I'm I'm missing there. And then for Northampton, Lewis Ludlam, Dave Ribbons, Tommy Freeman, um, yeah, I'm, 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 you know, Courtney Law is obviously unavailable as well. So with the spine of their team missing as well, those are two games that I think we can credibly target away as well. So it's really all to play for, and that's what makes supporting this league so exciting it's it's so congested and um with the guys that we've got back available and i think abano will be absolutely key to that effort i you know i i think i think i think there's a good chance <laughs> good chance of what top four is that what you're telling me? well we make some predictions yeah let's make some predictions i i, I just want to make one kind of last point and, and maybe i've banged this drum before but i think we're going to get a lot of players back and i think this first season was always a opportunity for van grant to trial and get an idea of who he wants to stick around and who he doesn't want to stick around. And I think we're going to see a big turnover of players in the summer. And I think we may also see a big turnover of coaches. And I think it's a massive, massive period for Charteris and for Hatley. I think those guys are people that had to have a good season if they wanted to kind of stay in the coaching setup of Johan van Graan. He brought in Ferreira and Maddox came in at the start of last season. And I think those guys, as well as some some players as well, who, who, I've, who I've mentioned before on the podcast, I think for those guys as well, it's a really big period. They, there's no excuses with the players that they've got back and the period of time that they've been able to spend with them. We've got to be better. We've got to be a better forward pack. 
in the mall with the fence and we've got to just not get out physical in games and, and that's the job of those guys so yeah really hope it works out because they are good coaches there's no doubt about that it's just whether this this is the right fit for them it's, um, it's the job it's the job of the coaches but it's first and foremost it's the job of the players and it you know we do and do we we're going to do this quickly we do have a, a with everyone back available we do have a a wealth of players to, to play with and I mean just calling out the back row I was putting together a 15 earlier but the back row probably a starting back row with everyone fit of Hill Barbary and then Sam Underhill and guys that you're leaving out Reed, Bayless Clurter Kutsia you know you and Richards as well um, it's ridiculous I think the strength that we've got in that department so we could put our serious side I reckon with everyone fit with all that in mind then Henry where do you see us finishing at the end of the season and will your prediction will that kind of be seen as acceptable to, to Bath fans uh, I I just uh, yeah I'm going to be a little bit negative I think I think um, I'm going to say ninth I'm I'm struggling to see I've, I've certainly got the optimism of these players coming back just I think I'm scarred from the many years of uh, looking at Bath teams on paper and thinking it's all going to work and something hasn't clicked. And I think that's the experience in the last sort of six, seven years. I think, I think there's a huge opportunity to so the next two games of, of potentially going up the log, but from, from what we've seen in terms of consistency, not being able to grind results out, uh, the away games we've got left, um, you know, got extra at home still, as you said, Saracens at home. I, I, I'm struggling to see us finish realistically above ninth, I'm afraid. Mm. I mean I, I tend to agree I, I know you painted it in a really nicely positive light there Tom but I reckon we've got three wins left in us like I mean we've hopefully win these next two but that's not a given right look at the record we've had recently stringing results together and then maybe one of the other ones and maybe four, three or four wins I think we've got left in us and I don't think that will get us massively above ninth um, and I think I actually did predict on the start of the season we'd finish 10th. So maybe I'll try and stick to form. And yeah, I, I can't see us getting much further up the table. I'm, I must admit. And that was with more teams in the league. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I... I, I uh, go on, Emery. No, I was going to say, I, th- I, think, I think Bath fans are pretty accepting compared to last season. I think everyone was... There's a lot of anger and frustration last year. Just I think people saw that the coaching wasn't wasn't good enough, and the players won't be given a, a good enough message. I think you know the players are definitely united um, as a squad. It's just just the issue is grinding out these results. And I think you know we did go on that run of three Premiership wins in a row um, earlier in the season, and we just couldn't build on it. And I can't when was our last win. Our last win was New Year's Eve. Um, so that's a little little time ago now. Um, so there's positives to build on, but I, I just you just look at the, the other teams around us in the league, and apart from Bristol, um, everyone else is is you know Sar- Saracens lost to London Irish at, at Brentford. You know Irish can do it at home. So I think all these teams are just cut wins. Necessarily going to going to beat them in terms of number of wins. I don't think. Yeah, I think we, we, we've compared ourselves a lot to last season. And I think when all is said and done, wherever we finish this season, and I'm a little bit more optimistic. I can see an eighth or a potentially a seventh, as long as we get at least one and preferably two of these games in February and start to get a bit of 
momentum. I can see a, a seventh or potentially an eighth ahead of Irish, potentially Leicester, Quinns, who are on a bit of a downward trajectory, Newcastle and, and Bristol, potentially. I don't think I can see us going much, much harder than that. But look, our last, our third last game of the season is away at King's home. And our last game of the season is at home to Saracens. Now, they were the two primary bloodbaths for last season. Obviously, 64-0 at King's home and 71-17 at Saracens. When all said and done, we might not win those games, but I think we can get to the end of the season and be pretty confident that the train has arrived at the end of the first stop, as Van Graham put it at the start of this season. And I think that we are in a lot better of a place, both on the field and also looking forward with the the player group that we are we are starting to form and the coaching group. So, yeah, I, I think there's reason to be optimistic as a as a Bath fan. It's not all doom and gloom, um, but as I think they are fully acknowledging, there's a long way to go. Yeah, a lovely way to finish, Tom. Thank you very much for listening. Henry, thank you for joining us, taking up way too much of your time on a Wednesday night. But I hope you talked all things, enjoyed talking all things sharp, all things blue, black and white with us. And yeah, hopefully have you on again towards the end of the season. Hope you enjoyed an hour there with not too much talk of the Six Nations, a real blue, black and white focus. Hit subscribe, tell your friends. We will be back to review the London Irish game, as I said, the weekend of the 18th of February. So hit subscribe and we'll be in your feeds then. A game that myself and Tom will both be at. So likely a second of that one might be in store. And Henry, so a little get together is surely in store. Thank you, boys, for joining me. Thank you for listening. Black and White Butchers on Instagram and stick behind the boys through thick and